0: Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc.
1: Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just a show for you.
3: This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia for this Thursday, May 4th in Hong Kong, Wednesday, May 3rd in New York. And coming up today... The Fed raises interest rates
4: by 25 basis points and signals the end of its tightening cycle may be near. PacWest is said to be weighing a range of strategic options, including a sale. And Qualcomm signals demand for mobile devices remains sluggish. Effort in the U.S.
5: legislature to put together a wide-ranging plan to combat Chinese competition capabilities. Vladimir Zelensky flatly denies Russian claims that Ukraine tried to assassinate Vladimir Putin. I'm Ed Baxter with Global News. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, the business news you need to start your day in just one 15 minute podcast available
4: on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business App and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning. I'm Doug Krisner.
3: And I'm Brian Curtis. Here are the stories we're following today. The Fed hiked interest rates by a quarter percentage point to a target range of five to five and a quarter percent. It also hinted at a possible pause in its rate hiking cycle. The FOMC omitted a line from its previous statement back in March in which it, the committee said that it anticipates that some additional policy firming may be appropriate. So that is now out. At a news conference, the Fed chief, Jay Powell, said there won't be any rate cuts if inflation remains too high.
0: We on the committee have a have a view that inflation is going to come down not so quickly but it'll take some time and in that world if that forecast is broadly right it would not be appropriate and, and to, to cut rates and we won't cut rates if you have a different forecast and you know uh, markets are have been from time to time pricing in you know quite rapid reductions in inflation you know we'd, we'd factor that in but that's not our forecast
3: So that's the Fed chief in his news conference. He did note that interest rates are not far off from the restrictive level, but he said that future monetary policy would be driven by a data dependent approach, and that would be meeting by meeting. And with regard to the banking crisis, Powell said that tighter credit conditions are likely to weigh on economic activity, as well as hiring and even inflation going forward. But Powell added that the labor market remains extremely tight. And for that reason, he expects the U.S. to dodge a recession this year.
4: Then there is the issue of the U.S. debt ceiling. And Powell went on to say the Fed cannot protect the American economy in the event of debt default. He said the Fed does not get involved in these debt negotiations. He did, however, stress the significance of finding a solution. It's essential that that the debt ceiling be raised in a timely way so that the U.S. government can pay all
0: of its bills when they're due. A failure to do that would be unprecedented. Uh, we'd be in uncharted territory, and the, and the consequences to the U.S. economy would be highly uncertain and could, could be quite
4: Now, Powell went on to say Fed officials did discuss the debt limit as a risk, but he said it did not influence their decision on rates today. Earlier in the week, you might recall, Secretary Yellen said the Treasury's ability to stay within the federal debt limit could be exhausted by June 1st. Now, President Biden and members of the House and Senate are scheduled to be in town that would be Washington, D.C., at the same time for only one week between now and June 1st. That's a very short time frame, and it makes it a lot less likely that these two groups will be able to come together and reach a deal, a long-term solution. right?
3: And a story that just broke in the last 30 minutes or so, Doug, we've been talking about this. Bloomberg reporting that PacWest, the California bank, has been weighing up a range of strategic options, including a sale of the bank. The regional bank has been working with a financial advisor and has also been considering a breakup or a capital raise. We're told that PacWest is open to a sale. The company hasn't started a formal auction process yet. It comes as PacWest shares have been unsteady following the collapse of three rival lenders. Bloomberg's Herman Chan explains why.
0: Really, the issue is that when SVB was facing issues with deposit outflows with its uh, technology and venture capital clients, PacWest was facing the same because they, they do also bank with, with startups and, and, and those same uh, cohort of, mm-hmm. of customers, just not to the same extent.
3: PacWest shares are down 58% in after hours, and um, right now we're saying that the the range of value that uh, PacWest has lost since this all started was between 85 and 90%, with a market value now of less than $772 million. And again, the stock in late trading down 58%, Western Alliance shares down 35%.
4: I'm looking at shares in Qualcomm off by nearly 7% right now in the late U.S. session. It was after the bell. The company gave a disappointing forecast for sales and profit in the current quarter. We have that story from Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet. Qualcomm is the largest maker of smartphone processors and the quarter signals that demand for mobile devices remains sluggish. Qualcomm said revenue will be $8.1 billion to $8.9 billion in the fiscal third quarter, falling well short of the $9.25 billion average analyst estimate. The outlook shows the challenge that Qualcomm is facing in navigating an industry-wide downturn. Weak demand for phones has led to a buildup in handset chips. The company main source of revenue. In New York, Charlie
3: Pallet, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. Chinese financial data providers have recently stopped providing key information on the nation's companies to overseas clients. We hear more on that from Bloomberg's Joanne Wong.
1: We're told the providers included Wind Information, Qi Cha Cha and Tianyan Cha. Wind said the change is due to regulatory requirements, but refused to give more information, saying it's sensitive. The Wall Street Journal also reported foreign firms were unable to renew subscriptions to Wind. Investors operating in China are facing a more challenging environment, despite Beijing's push to improve ties globally. U.S. consultancy firms in particular are in the spotlight. Authorities are said to be targeting China offices of Bain & Company, Minsk Group, and Cap vision. In Hong Kong, I'm Joanne Wong, Bloomberg Day, Brigasier.
3: I'm Brian Curtis, along with Doug Krisner and Rashad Salama will join us in a few moments. And just a reminder, James Abate is coming up from Center Asset Management. So it's always dangerous, Doug, to say it's different this time. But consider this. Hmm. We've had 500 basis points of hikes. And Powell, Powell reminded us of this. We've had 500 basis points of hikes and unemployment has actually gone down since the beginning. And that is not what's supposed to be happening. That's
4: pretty phenomenal. I would agree with that, Brian. And today the ADP private payroll survey showed that U.S. companies increased their payrolls in April by the most in nine months. Imagine that. And the next data point, and the important data point is on Friday, when we get the monthly jobs data for the month of April, a lot of uh, surveys, including our own, are projecting uh, strong gains in employment. And if you remember that employment cost index reading last week, strong wage pressure. So if you look at the inflationary implications of a tight labor market and wage growth, that is pretty impressive. I mean, to go back to the point that we were talking about a moment ago, what will hold back this economy?
3: Yeah. And Powell was, was pretty careful not to really talk about pause because he noted that many times over the past year, you've had inflation actually start to come down, but then re-energize. And some of, the, uh, some of the conditions that you just mentioned indicate that. I mean, that is a possibility that we could see inflation pick up again. So they have to keep their options open. They're data dependent. That's probably good news for, for a lot of people. And it was a great question by our Matt Boslow when he said, you don't see recession or cuts. Your staff does and the market does you know implying are are you a little lonely out there seeing a soft (laughs) landing and he had a great answer he said well look if your forecast is that inflation comes down quickly then you might see room for cuts that's not my position i don't see inflation coming down And that was pretty telling.
4: Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, But to go back to kind of the the jobs component, I mean, you could argue, too, that labor market strength is kind of a lagging indicator. Uh, So we could see an abrupt pivot on the jobs front. But I don't know that the market fully agrees with Powell's position. If you saw the yield curve today, we were down pretty dramatically. So I understand what we are hearing from the Fed chairman. I don't know that the market fully buys into the narrative at this point.
3: All right. We will get to more on all of this again, as mentioned, with James Abate coming up from Center Asset Management. But now it's time for Global News. A bipartisan group of U.S. senators has come together to work on enhancing U.S. competition capabilities against China. Ed Baxter with Global News and the 960 Newsroom in San Francisco. Ed?
5: Yeah, that's a plan, Brian. The plan comes in mid-efforts to uh, combat China's efforts to gain economic and strategic clout. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says beginning with technology. Limiting the flow of advanced technology to the Chinese government. We will work to halt the Chinese government's development of advanced technologies that we know will shape the course of this century. As well as investments that allow China to enhance its power using U.S. monies. We must make sure that we can prevent the Chinese government from using our own free society to acquire and even steal U.S. innovations and critical technologies. And to provide an alternative to China's Belt and Road Initiative. And send a strong message to the Chinese government that we're united in this pressing national security effort, and we are committed to maintaining America's lead in the future. And Schumer says also one section of any legislation will deal in the U.S. commitment to defend Taiwan. As the U.S. tries to intensify efforts to keep India on its side in the rivalry with China, the Biden administration is reportedly remaining publicly very quiet on India's Democratic backsliding. It's a demonstration on the Biden Balancing Act on human rights and democracy against fighting autocracy. Ukraine's President Vladimir Zelensky is denying the Kremlin's claims that Ukrainian drones tried to assassinate Vladimir Putin.
3: We don't attack Putin or Moscow. We on on our territory.
5: Zelensky says uh, they use all their munitions to defend Ukrainian territory not enough to attack Moscow. Meanwhile, Russia has claimed that the two downed drones were part of a planned terrorist act and former NSC director Daniel Fried on Bloomberg's Balance of Power says a Russian claim well, it just doesn't make any sense. We
1: can be pretty confident, though, that this was not a Ukrainian attempt to assassinate Vladimir Putin. For one thing, it occurred at 2.30 in the morning in Moscow, Moscow time. And Putin doesn't spend the night in the Kremlin very much, if at all.
5: And says it could very well be a false flag because Russia was fully prepared to carry out drone strikes on Kiev right afterwards. NATO's intelligence chief says that Russia is mapping a critical undersea system that warns of a significant risk that Moscow could target infrastructure in Europe and North America. They talk undersea cables and other critical infrastructure global news powered by more than 2700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries in san francisco i'm ed baxter and this is bloomberg
0: the capital ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by capital group ceo mike gitlin investment professionals reveal their best mentors how they find their next great idea and a few funny stories subscribe wherever you get your podcasts american funds distributors inc
3: This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, Brian Curtis and Rishad Salamat here. We just heard from Doug Krisner, and obviously at Baxter on News. Our guest is James Zabonte, Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer at Center Asset Management. So, James, if we are truly data dependent here, which data? What's most important?
6: <laughs> well, with regards to Fed policy, I think you could make an argument that the tightening cycle is over, Um, I think when you look at what the Fed was trying to accomplish at the very start of its tightening cycle, it was to try to move real yields positive. So when you measure real yields now, whether it's a five or the 10-year tips yield, it shows a real rate of about 1.3%. Now, that's below the 2% that the Fed probably hoped for when they started out, but it's still good enough. And when you look at where the dollar index is, it's still high and stable. Industrial commodity prices, whether it's copper, nickel, oil, they continue the downtrend for input costs. So I think we're at the point now where we're at the waiting game period at which peak rates are on hold for a while. Now, people forget sometimes that we're not just going to revert to some kind of easing cycle. If you go back to the great financial crisis, you know, the Fed it was on hold for 64 weeks before it began to ease. Go back to the dot-com bubble. It was on hold for 33 weeks from peak rates before they started to move. The thing to remember, however, is that bad things tend to happen during these periods as the lagged effects from previous Fed tightening finally starts to make their way into the economy, uh, but doesn't necessarily have to end in a recession, though, this time, because this cycle is quite special. James, it does seem as though, you know, there has been a huge lag in terms of monetary policy and its uh, effects. But I guess the first touchpoint has been banking. And we are in a situation now where we're in a banking maelstrom of some form that we that is uh, perhaps uh, ununderstandable as to what the consequences are. So in some ways, as Robert Kaplan was saying, former Dallas uh, Fed president, that uh, he wanted a hawkish pause, but saying that we just don't know how the situation will evolve when it comes to banking it could be much more serious than we currently understand yeah no i agree with that point because i hate to say it but what we've really done is we've destroyed competitive banking and created this oligopoly structure here in the united states i mean think about it why would you bank anywhere else outside of any of, outside of any of the major uh, banks such as J.P. Morgan or what have you. And in fact, when we look at the deal that just got announced over the weekend with J.P. Morgan buying First Republic, I mean, it was a sweetheart deal for J.P. Morgan. They bought, you know, $186 billion in assets. That's marked to market. Um, that's loans and securities. And they only assumed $122 billion in deposits. So for $10 billion that they paid to the FDIC, J.P. Morgan got $60 billion in assets, plus the FDIC agreed to absorb 80 percent of the losses for the next five years. Well, so we, we, problem, we, see, yeah.
3: we see many fewer banks in Canada. That, that's their model. And Australia kind of fits that bill as well. So it's the U.S. that has believed that all these, you know, multitude of regional banks is good for the economy. Do you think that there's a big rethink uh, underway on that? But the, what what the Fed always has tried to
6: do, and historically anyway, is that when they raise rates, they're trying to do two things. They're trying to, in essence, make the cost of financing more expensive for loans. But they're also trying to lure money away from speculative assets to save deposits. J.P. Morgan, Citibank, Bank of America, they don't have to pay competitive deposits. If you and I went and opened up a money market account at J.P. Morgan, we'd be getting 0.1% at this point in time, where it's a small banks are forced to pay up for deposits. Yeah. So this is creating a dichotomy. So the news with PacWest tonight, I don't know how this uh, this kind of you know rolling rock ends up stopping at some point in time, because you're still going to see deposits outflow out of these small and mid-sized banks and by nature go to banks where they feel that there's security in terms of guarantee in the too too big to fail types of banks. So, James, what's the solution? (laughs) You know, the solution might be basically to uh, give blanket FDIC insurance on all deposits. Um, I think you need to have... some kind of congressional investigation as to why indeed we haven't had yet any type of you know transmission mechanism where there's this gigantic dichotomy between what the largest banks have to pay or are paying uh to their depositors versus what you know true market rates are for banks that are smaller in size that have to compete for for underlying customers at this point in time. I think Congress needs to start to to look at this in a very serious way.
3: James, let's get to what you do with your money. Uh, Is this not a good time to buy equities? The thing is, we haven't yet had an earnings
6: recession, and that's been the thing that we've always felt would be the downside risk for this type of environment. When we entered the year, we felt we could go down two paths. One would be that earnings would be flat You might get some kind of modest uptick in the market from multiple expansion, which is what we've had. It's been concentrated in the largest cap technology companies. Earnings have basically come in now, uh, year over year about 0% right now. 74% of companies are topping expectations. Um, but you haven't had that. You know, collapse yet in terms of earnings that would lead to a, a very significant decline in the markets. I think where people have opportunity in the market and where the, the big mistake or misperception of investors might be is in the differentiation of what we traditionally call defensive growth stocks, healthcare staples versus what people somehow are kind of conflating with defensive growth stocks. Yeah. Meaning the big cap tech stocks. So I think that's where you want to rotate is the kind of the old fashioned defensive stocks that are still posting great numbers actually in these environments.
3: So in, in 20 seconds, would that just be, you know, the perceived best company in each industry? You don't have to pick say staples. You just go with the best company, in healthcare, in industrials, and so on.
6: That's right, you want idiosyncratic companies that have fortress-like balance sheets. The fact that companies may have less exposure to cyclicality will be an overall benefit as well.
4: just say,
3: Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, SiriusXM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krizner. Join us again tomorrow for all the
4: news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia.
1: Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon, Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.